0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Immigrantly with me, Sadia Khan. I hope you're enjoying December, wherever you are, whatever weather you're experiencing. We recently did a Zoom happy hour with our listeners, which was an amazing experience. And we noticed people from all over the world, which is incredible. I am so glad that people are listening to us from different places Australia yes one of our listeners who joined us was from Australia isn't that amazing so for those who don't know or who are joining us for the first time today each week I speak with a special guest about their immigrant identity as well as the fascinating things they are doing in their lives We've basically got a little something for everyone. So when you get a chance, don't forget to scroll through some of our past episodes and then check us out on social media. In fact, follow us. We're everywhere. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. Um, Not so much Snapchat or Be Real, but guys, if you want us to be there, we'll be there. Let us know your thoughts. Anyways, I'm really, really excited about today's episode and here's why. You just listened to a small hint of the talent that my next guest brings to the table. Born and raised in Honduras, Kirsten Lanza is a tap dancer and an educator. He is currently pursuing his Master's of Fine Arts in Dance at the University of Maryland. And earlier this year, he finished the coveted Strathmore Artist in Residence program as part of the class of 2022. For any long term listeners of Emigrant you may notice that this is our first tap dancer on the podcast, which is really exciting for me because I have a lot of questions for Gerson. For most dance styles, you have to see it to enjoy it, right? But that's what makes tap dancing so interesting to me. It's not just dance. It's music as well. Let's welcome Kirsten to Immigrantly. I am recording on my end as well, technology. It finally worked and we are recording this interview via Zoom. I would have loved to see you in person and have this conversation in the same physical space, but you know, this is not bad either. So how are you doing, Kirsten?
1: I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm currently at the University of Maryland campus, my office space, to settle in for this beautiful podcast.
0: Oh, I love it! And I see this really nice notebook. Are you going to take notes?
1: I I'm becoming better at taking notes and being able to respond to the things that I'm curious more curious about or things that I want to hear more about. Huh. So I. I like to have this nice, beautiful green is my favorite color. So I have this tiny notebook that I can put it in my pocket and carry around. And also I jog down creative things that pop up in my head that sometimes goes over my head. So I just want to have a pen and a piece of paper always available. And that's the trick.
0: I love it. And I love the color. Like I call it emerald green.
1: It's pretty accurate.
0: Oh, good, good. So first, I want to congratulate you on finishing the coveted Strathmore Artist in Residence program earlier this year. Thank you. Great accomplishment. Congratulations. Uh, I believe the concert was in June and I found some clips on YouTube. You have so much talent in those feet, you know, it was (laughs) amazing. Was the performance at Kennedy Center?
1: The performance at Kennedy Center was at the Millennium Stage. Um, They do a pretty amazing job in bringing the arts into the community in the DMV area. And so what the Kennedy Center does, they put weekly performances every Wednesdays, if I'm not mistaken, throughout the year. Um, And I happen to be one of those performers that was reached out by the presenters at the Kennedy Center to put in uh, some work that was going on. Also in June which also collide with the work that I did over at Strathmore. So I already had a set pretty much done that dealt with like jazz, tap dancing, and it just spoke to many different things that was going on at the time in June. So Hmm. it was a great opportunity also because I'm new to the DMV area since I'm coming from New York City to get some exposure to local presenters, but also just to share my talent with people in the community in the area.
0: Right. So tell me about the past year. Or how has it looked for you as part of this program? What was this program like? What were some of the learnings, experiences, challenges? Strathmore? Yes.
1: So Strathmore is a program, the artist in residence specifically, is a program that chooses six artists from the DMV area. I would like to say promised artists because there's a huge pool of people that apply and only six people are chosen. Normally is a program that is targeting musicians. I am a tap dancer. So being a tap dancer, I also fall into the musicianship part of it all because tap dancers are also musicians because we create music with our body and rhythms right. and feet. And so I was the second ever to be part of that class that was a percussive artist. The first one was Rebecca Hill, who was an Appalachian flat footer. She was just the year previous to me. So that was the class of 2020, 2021. And so thanks to her, she reached out to me and she told me about Strathmore. Strathmore pretty much provide education and tools and advice for those upcoming artists on how the industry of music currently is, or how to buy a home as an artist, income tax, and what's the proper way to handle that. Because as you know, as a independent artist, we have many streams of income. And they do a pretty good job in bringing professionals and coming in and having these workshops once a month. And we also had workshops on how to write artist statements, how to develop our website and make sure that is appealing to the eye but also it has the proper content to be able to draw in presenters people who is interested in presenting us in like podcast or the Kennedy Center right because we want to make sure that as part of the Strathmore, they want to make sure that their artists are promised to go into the working field as an artist once they leave or they once they graduate the class of Strathmore now that was that we weren't doing that prior to, but it's more of like fine tuning of the things to be able to guarantee work after that. And they have an amazing leadership from Betty Scott, is who is the director of the program, is an outstanding person who is always looking for the best of the artists, as well as Kathy Fink, who's the Grammy Award winner, composer. And so it's pretty awesome to have those people in, in my corner trying to like, you know, fine tune the things that perhaps were a little loose that I might've overseen as, you know, Probably some
0: bias. <laughs> I love that. And the fact that they have these tools to help artists become career musicians or have that sustainable career is so Correct. important. Something that a lot of times is either Overlooked or ignored, or even artists in my mind don't pay as much attention to the financial or the career side of it, and they're more focused on creating art, right? right? Talking about your art now, beyond a way of living and making it into a career, Gerson, you've also spoken about TAP as a form of Black cultural expression. As an immigrant, prior to this, interview, I had very limited knowledge of tap dancing. Mm -hmm. I've seen it like in movies and on TV, and I've admired the craft itself, but I did not know about the history of tap dancing. And for those listeners who may be unfamiliar with some of that history, what is the connection between your cultural identity and tap dance?
1: Oh, that's a great question. First and foremost, Tap dance is an African American art form that exists here in the United States. It was born here in the United States and it grew hand in hand with jazz music. There is different influences that are part of tap dancing like Irish step dancing, clogging. Needless to say that the art form has been developed through the nurturing of the Black community or the Black nationhood that lives in the United States of America. That's important to mention at first. For me, I was born and raised in Honduras. I am an Afro-Latino, Afro-Latinx, and I migrated to the United States in 2001. There was no preparation for me to come in into the United States had to learn English inland. I didn't come to the United States with the previous knowledge of how to speak English, the previous knowledge of what the culture is like or what even the architecture of the United States look like. So when I showed up, I was in culture shock fully from the language to the food, to the people. I mean, Honduras, everybody in Honduras is Honduran. When you come to the United States, everybody seems to be from everywhere else, (laughs) 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 at least for where I, I, because when I arrived in the United States, I went to the Bronx, New York. And so everybody, you know, my neighbors were from China, Cuba, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela. So everybody was from somewhere else. And so once I got here, I started to identify what my culture is, right? Because now I'm in a pool where there's so much diversity. Mm. I came to the conclusion that I am in this world. I am a Afro, Latinx, Honduran, male. And so how do I live and how do I assimilate to the things that are going around me? Honduras is a very percussive country, it is a country that has a huge African diaspora from back in the early 19th centuries from St. Vincent. And that group of people eventually set roots in Honduras and, and starting to disperse throughout Nicaragua, Belize. And that group of people is called the Garifuna people. My mom is Garifuna and my dad is Honduran white. So I'm what you call officially a mulatto, which is a mix of white and black. But you know, when you come to the United States, no matter how much of black you got, whether it's a lot or little, you almost black. So it's just the culture and the baggage that the United States bring into the ethnicity or race identifying of one being. And so once I arrived and then I saw tap dancing, I was like, this is my way to communicate because I couldn't speak English. But then I could relate to tap dancing because it's percussive. It's something that I have been nurturing in my body and my being from dancing and just being around drum sync circles in the Garifuna culture of my mom, going to the villages and acknowledging all of these different rituals that was going on. And, and I wasn't fully aware of what these rituals were, but I knew I could identify to them. And so once I became into tap dancing, we make jam sessions where everybody stood in a circle and everybody kind of shared their own. Identity through their dancing. It was something that was really unique and really amazing to observe and see people develop from a little shuffle bowl change to now really intricate steps. That progression also defined who, how they were growing, not just as tap dancers, but also as individuals. And that's pretty much how I grew up into the, into the dance. I first started with a shuffle bowl change not speak in English to eventually, I now can say intricate things, not just in the dance, but also in the way I communicate also how I identify as an Afro-Honduran person. And I just love the fact that I, since I started dancing, I have been able to communicate both my emotions of happiness, my emotions of sadness, my emotions of anxiety, depression, because mind you, when i showed up in harlem because we moved from the bronx to harlem my mom put me in a all english speaking school it's a very mm. latino thing to do because <laughs> when i first landed when we first got to the us she put me in a bilingual school as a transition thing because again i didn't speak english Year one, my mom was like, "You're not learning English fast enough, so I'm gonna need to I'm I'm gonna need to speed up this process." So she put me into all English, and that's how I landed at Watley School of the Performing and Visual Arts, where there was tap dancing and all the art forms and visual arts were required of each student. And so that's how I ended up at Watley. That's how I ended up in tap dancing. That's how the process of English was sped up for me. <laughs> all all thanks to my mother. And so I discovered many great things, but also right like that moment, those bullying happened. I'm very isolated from people because I was afraid of speaking to people, afraid of being judged by other people. So there was a lot of things that was going on that I was able to get through because of tap dancing. So
0: you were using tap dancing as a form of communication, having come to the U.S. as an 11-year-old. You were only 11, right, at the time? Correct. But at what point did you decide to pursue it as a career?
1: I was a senior in high school, and my mentor, Omar Edwards, he pointed me to this audition in Queens, in Sunnyside, Queens, for a, a, a show that was happening there on Broadway. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll go. Why not? And so me and my good friend, Joshua Johnson, we ended up at the audition and there were some other like amazing heavy hitters, as I like to call them in the room, people who's been tap dancing all their life. At this point, I've been in the game of like learning tap dancing, student of the dance for probably six years. So I'm now defining and identifying my own voice within the dance. And so luckily, Josh and I, we got the part. And again, I'm a senior in high school, now with a... Full access to an off-Broadway production, performing every weekend, four shows a weekend. Oh, wow. Getting paid. So I thought I was like, this is high school musical for me. (laughs)
0: You know, being
1: being able to perform, do something that I truly love while I'm still learning, right? At this point, I could definitely developing what it's like to be on stage, what it's like to have stage presence, how to really convey emotions out of the audience. So there's a lot of things that I'm learning through the process. And I was definitely up for the challenge and capable of carrying the job. But I learned a lot. And so that was the first time that I discovered that I could do what I love doing and being able to get paid for it Mm. and have it be a career that can be a longevity as long as you play all of your cards correctly. Right. Because I think that there is this aura in our society where artists are always struggling, artists are always in this thing of uncertainty and it brings lots of taboo into the thing where for some reason, unless you are Beyonce, unless you're Jay-Z, <laughs> unless you are, you know, to that scale, then it's always a struggle. But I want to say that there is room for everybody to succeed. There is room for everybody to eat. There's room for everybody to make a living. You just have to have the right people on your corner. You have to remain diligent with the work and commitment to your work work. and think it's going to come. And I always knew that education was a thing for me because my parents, they were both teachers. And so they always pushed education for me. Even throughout all of my college career at Wake Forest University, tap dancing was always a thing. I would come back to DC and perform. I would go back to New York City, take lessons. So I always found the gap to be able to continue my love for the dance. And the
0: interesting thing is for your undergrad, you picked history and Spanish. Correct. Right. So you didn't pick dance, which is which is fine. Yeah. But I wonder how your education in history defined your work or enhanced your understanding of your craft.
1: Sure. I in undergrad, again, I wanted to make sure that tap dancing was going to be a part of it, one way, shape, or form. Also, because I came to the United States at age eleven, which means fifth grade, I was losing my Spanish because I'm trying to assimilate to the American culture so much. Spanish took a toll. You
0: have to reconnect with your culture, right?
1: (laughs) Correct. It took a toll. And so I'm like, okay, this is an opportunity where now I can retouch my Spanish. However, midterms of my first Spanish college course, I was failing. Why is that? I'm only half the Spanish of a fifth grader, right? Like yeah. every, once I came to the United States, it was all English, 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 English. I completely had to flip the switch. So now in college, I'm taking a Spanish course. My Spanish was not up to par. So then I had to work really closely with my professor to like all of my grammar, all of the, obviously I could read well, but all the big words, all of the other things, it was just really challenging to be able to process the information and the intellectual level that college requires, especially Wake Forest is, a, is one of the top universities in the country. So it's tough to keep up where you're so far behind. And I was in both worlds, far behind in English, far behind in Spanish. So for me, college has always been a catch-up game, always. Mm. School education has always been a catch-up game. But I keep up well simply because of my determination. to outperform a lot of people. So that's how I had to balance my dancing and my culture through school. So if you could read my dancing and my culture has always been penetrated to the school thing. And I also wrote my thesis on how African arts through time became known as African-American tracing music and dance. So we could talk about gumbo dancing, we could talk about the shaping of the blues, the shaping of tap dancing, Lindy Hop, to Charleston. All of these things comes from enslaved people that eventually took shape and were nurtured through the Black people, the Black community that have been living in this country for over 400 years, right? so. It's tough to like trace it to a specific thing in Africa, but the traces are all there that says, oh, look at this African dance. That look really similar to Chicago footwork. Why is the connection there? So there is crumbs that have been all through this timeline that I was able to kind of nitpick and put into this 50-page paper thesis that I had to do for Wake Forest. Jason,
0: you bring up such an important point. It's so important to parse out differences and to pay homage to the originators of any craft. And in the U.S., unfortunately, a lot of African craft, music, dance has been co-opted. We see that happening. Why do you think it's important to tease apart that hyphenated identity in terms of where the music or the craft really originated, right? As you said, Most of it is known as African-American, but it was African first until it became American.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Why do you think people are unaware of this important part of history? Why is it being erased in a way?
1: Sure. Two things. To know where you're going, you first have to know where you come from. In other words, you have to know your history. Number two Black culture, Black history is not recorded in books. It's very much by the practice of the griot, those persons who tell the stories, the oral history. So a lots of this histories dies with those people who carry that information and that knowledge and that wisdom. So it is the job of the generations to come to be able to carry that knowledge and that wisdom forward. Some take the opportunity to carry those narratives forward and it falls sometimes in the crack, right? Some people are not telling those stories. They they might not be agreeing in the community that's able to tell those stories. And so those stories are no longer with us. And so that's how the history kind of falls short. So by default, sometimes that's how it's being erased. However, in the society in which we live today, there is so many systems that are in place to erase Black culture, to erase Black dance. For example, in higher education, all Black dance is elected, but modern (laughs) and ballet, (laughs) right? All of these Eurocentric art forms are central to the curriculum in which we are currently studying for those studying dance. But when you talk about tap dancing, Lindy Hop, hip hop, Chicago footwork, all of those things take the back burner. Why is that? We in America, right? Those things that we have nurtured for so many years are never in the forefront. Is it because it's Black? Why is it? You know, I
0: think it's because it's painful history of enslavement, of genocide, of discrimination, racial inequities. And in America, there is this idea of promoting almost naive version of history or Mm -hmm. convenient version of history and erasing parts that are inconvenient, that are painful, that are difficult to reckon with.
1: Mm -hmm. We have to remember who is the people at the table and the representation of Latinos, Blacks, Asians. They are not at the table. You're not at the table, Right. right? So the decisions of who make the books that go into public schooling, who write those books, what books make the cut, we're not making those decisions. Right. Right. Even in children books. Now I see an effort of like people of color and and brown people making into these books now and is being publicized. So there is a slight switch happening. But then comes the question of like, is this a facade or is this a genuine effort that people is making to bring these different faces to the forefront of children books and now honoring Martin Luther King with a day, right? Like all of these different things. In my mind, it raises the question, is this facade is this a genuine effort of people to bring these different narratives to the forefront? Yes.
0: And in your opinion, what will genuine effort look like?
1: Oh, that's tough to say when you really haven't seen one. The ground has to be shaken. And I can speak from my realm of studies and my realm that I am familiar with. If we're talking about dance, There has to be more spaces for Black dance to be able to be promoted, for Latin dance to be able to promote it, and all other minority groups to have the space for creative exploration. There is a couple of places in New York City that are doing this kind of work, and it's amazing. There has to be a space for Black dance and katak and salsa and bachata to be able to be part of the curriculum where it's not just an elective, mm. but rather a course that everybody has to take. There has to be movies where tap dancing could be more seen. And luckily, we have an amazing choreographer and a mentor of mine, Chloe Arnold, who just put a movie out that's called Spirited that just premiered not too long ago that has tons of tap dancing. And so she's breaking the world of bringing tap dancing to millions around the world through movies and that's how it starts right and representation overall like it has to be people like us speaking the language and speaking our art we cannot allow other people who are witnesses of our being to speak about our art They Absolutely. cannot be no black dance without black people <laughs> right
0: i love it Just I want to circle back to the art itself, the dance. I believe you do a lot of choreography yourself, right? What is that process like? How do you create new choreography in both a dance and through musical lens? How does that happen?
1: Well, my creative process, I like to call it, is pretty simple. I pick a topic that I want to talk about, that I want to highlight, and that could be My upbringing as a Latino coming to the United States, that could be, so immigration, that could be about the passing of my mother, that could be the simulation to the United States, or that could simply be just being Black in America and being a target body here in our society. Once I choose that, I just go into the studio and dance. Just dance, 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 dance. Sometimes I record myself doing things. And once I do that, I go to the drawing board, put the video on the big screen and just observe myself. What is it that I'm saying? What is the narrative that I'm saying through my dancing? How is the layering of the sound? Am I loud? Am I speaking in a way that's soft? And when I say speaking, I mean dancing, right? (laughs) And through that process then I start nitpicking, oh, I like that step, I like that step, or I like the way I move through the space for this, I like the layering in which I was dancing. And so I go back into the drawing war with much more purpose and I start to choreograph different sounds that speak of what that narrative is. Right so if, for example, if it's something about gun violence, for example, it would be a soft built, something that has very repetitive sounds that propose this level of anxiety. So if it sounds like it kind of gives you the visual of like a twitch, so I start to play around like that because I also I'm creating music, but you're also seeing my body move, so how can I be able to convey all of these different things simultaneously with music and bodily performance? So it's it's a, it's, a, it's it could be a long process where one piece can take, you know, up to a year and some piece could take, you know, it depends on how the turnaround could be. But I personally like to sit on a piece of choreography for like about six months to a year. Oh, wow. That's a to, long time. And Because when you present work, normally you get between six, sometimes three months, but you get a nice amount of time for you to sit with something and say, I like this or so I don't like this. It's just not about creating the product and like, Be gone. But there is also like the purpose of like just showing and improvising because just like jazz musicians, you know, we could get into the space and just dance and just share what we love to do. Like, right? Like Miles Davis could just show up to a jam session and just blow the audience apart. We could do that too. (laughs) But when you asked me about choreography, right. So when it comes to choreography and building a narrative, and sometimes it doesn't have to be a narrative. It could be just something of like, I love the music that I'm making right now. Mm. And that could, that could, that could be just great.
0: And that should suffice as well, right? It doesn't have to be a strong narrative every time. Now, you talk a lot about your identity, your immigrant identity. You came here at the age of 11. You were quite young. And you've talked about the challenges you faced, alienation, bullying, but now you've lived here for more than 20 years. I wonder what it means or what does going back to Honduras and spending time with friends and family there looks like to you? Have you moved away from that identity? Are you somewhere in the middle now, part American, part Honduran? I struggle with that a lot. It's something Mm -hmm. that I recently discussed at Zoom happy hour. We had it with our listeners. And I realized that when I came to the U.S., I was 100 percent Pakistani. There was nothing American about Mm -hmm. me. And now two decades later, when I go back to Pakistan, it's still home. But but it it? (laughs) isn't right. I've outgrown it in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sure. a nomad everywhere. I am not 100% American. Mm-hmm. I will never be 100% American. American identity is an integral part of me, mm-hmm. but not my entirety. So mm-hmm. I wonder what does that look like for you?
1: Mm-hmm. I think we, we definitely share that similarity there. I was recently in Honduras in July, mm-hmm. not too long ago. And I was reckoned with this idea of, am I Honduran? Am I American? (laughs) I spent 11 years in Honduras. But in reality, right, like the first eight is you just a body moving around. So you're not really conceptualizing things. you you just a kid enjoying your best life. And that's fantastic. But my formative years as a man has all been in the United States. Now we're talking about 22 years. So when I go back to Honduras, yes, I feel like a Honduran within. But from the eyes looking here. yeah. I don't smell the same. I don't walk the same. I don't dress the same. They even have a saying in Honduras where like, you know, they can sense you from the distance and they call it like the smell of bounty, like a fabric softener.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that.
1: I don't know what it is, but that's, that's how that saying came to be. Like we can smell the the downy from the distance. And so I was telling my brothers because I have two older brothers who have uh, more roots than I did, right? Because they they were having their formative years in Honduras, so they have longtime friends. But when I was there in Honduras, I have friends. Most of those friends no longer live there due to, you know, being a third world country and just dealing with many things from narcotics and, and trafficking. Some folks died, or were killed. And so I don't, really have friends that I can say, hey, let's go and have fun or go to the club or just have a drink. I don't really have those connections simply because a lot of them also migrated to the United States undocumented. So right. So like their mobility is, is restrained. I'm doing I'm doing my thing over here. They're doing their thing over there. Their mobility is not really able to just to say hey, Gerson, I'm gonna hop in the plane and I'm gonna come visit. It's really not there. So I, I'm just hang out with my dad, and I call family to come and hang out, and, and the cousins. But right when you go, there's this other aspect of economical status that when you go back to a third world country, they expect you to be rich. They expect you to have all of <laughs> this money to give away. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, you make more money in the United States, but just how it comes, it goes right back out. Right, right. The rent money is not the same in the United States as it is Food is not the same. So like, yeah, I could spare like taking you out to dinner. But it's a thing that, I don't know, the the community in third world country just expect for you to just be rolling in dough and just giving out money. And it's not like that. And because I don't have those roots in Honduras or have that knowledge that this is okay, I'm a little bit restrained to that concept. Like, I'm not your bank. Bro. Does it
0: bother you or have you reconciled with the idea that our identities are hyphenated and they will always remain that way.
1: Yes, of course. I I think that even if you become an American citizen, that passport says you're not born in the United States. You were born either in Pakistan or Honduras. You're here by... I don't know. You lived here five years, so we're going to give you a verified check. But the reality is, if you do something completely criminalized, they can still send you back to your country. We are
0: only acceptable if we are quote unquote good. And I never understood the idea of good. There can be nothing more othering than calling immigrants good people. Stop Mm -hmm. calling them that. They are human beings. That's (laughs) it.
1: Yeah, the United States does, you know, immigration politics in the U.S. are really tricky. I try to learn just as much for me to just remain on top of things but it's, it's, I, I happen to work at an immigration law firm of my upbringing in New York City as a summer internship so I was still in high school but I learned so much and I learned that the anxiety that people get when obtaining citizenship even having to take the test for it because I, i had to take tests. I don't know if you're an American citizen I nowadays am, but you know, test, yes. you <laughs> took the test you had to show <laughs> up and then you had to like send hudao and all of that take the oath and, and all of those things are somewhat intimidating right? Like we're not sure am, am I, in the past. Like I remember listening to the tape because you get a little CD on my way to the interview about all the things that I had to know. 13 colonies, the first president of the United States. All of these things are, are somewhat intimidating. And the
0: interesting thing is to me, sometimes it seems and I don't know if you feel that way. My American passport is still not good enough. Mm. Right. It's like, oh, is it the same as a European person's or a white person's American Mm. passport? So no matter what happens, no matter how integrated you are or whether you have a passport or not, you can still be pretty much othered.
1: Sure thing. I mean, I remember sometimes traveling from outside the country and, you know, now customs have those machines where you just show up and then you get the X on top of your pictures. Like, that's the line for you. But I have an American passport. What's going on? Yeah, they're
0: still random checks, you know, and they're yeah, are not random so checks. random for us, but they are still called random.
1: <laughs> are, they, are they? I don't know if they're random. I think because every single time I, I had an X on my, my picture. That cannot
0: possibly be random then, right? It's not random.
1: <laughs> I refuse to believe that. It
0: defies logic. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. In the end, I'm going to ask you something that I ask all my guests. And it is so relevant to what we are talking about right now. If you were to define America Mm. in a word or a sentence or a phrase, how would you define it? One word? You can take a sentence, phrase, word, whatever works for you.
1: I'll yeah. say America is the land of opportunity and there is a chance for everybody.
0: That's good. That's positive.
1: Yeah, I, I like to be positive. There's, there's, <laughs> America is, is, there's opportunity for everybody, for sure. There's so many Negative things that I could say too, but I, you know, I look at my brother. I just, we just came back from Thanksgiving break and I have seen my brother build the family. I've seen my brother grow so much. I am witnessing my brother live the American dream, just like how my mother first envisioned. And all of us are, but my brother's doing such a great job from having a family, building the home that he wants, having all these materialistic things that. And not even just in the materialistic things, but also the things that are emotional and the non concrete things. He's done such a phenomenal job. So just coming back from that and observing that, and I am so proud of him. That's the reason why I said the phrase that I said, no matter where you come from, from dirt poor, there is an opportunity to excel and, and create a legacy that you can be proud of in this land. And I don't know if I could say that in every single place that folks live simply because they're just trying to catch up. they always playing just, you know, we always just trying to play a catch-up game and we never will catch up simply because of the systematic oppression that's in place. And so is in America. However, there is a chance. There is a chance. And so I just want to pass positive energy in conclusion to our conversation. I
0: like that. You're absolutely right. Although, as you said, there is systematic oppression and racial inequities and socioeconomic inequities. And a lot more road bumps for people like you and I than anybody else.
1: Definitely. Oh, yeah. No, the ro- the, ro- hey, the, ro- the 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 bumps are definitely there and there cannot be no. But
0: it's, you know, it's holiday season and we're all being really positive and there happy. Is. Come on, um, Christmas is around the corner. I love this. Here's a way people f- find your work? Is there a website they should visit? Is there any other place on YouTube? Is there a YouTube channel they can go to?
1: Absolutely. You can find me on Instagram at GersonLenzaTaps. That's spelled G-E-R-S-O-N-L-A-N-Z as in zebra A and then taps underscore. That's for Instagram. I also have a YouTube channel. It's GersonLenza. You could also just type my name on Google and I should pop up there somewhere. And yes, I think that's, that's all I have.
0: Thank you so much. This was wonderful.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate you for having me, and it's, it's been a blast having a conversation with you. Really appreciate it. Thank
0: you. <laughs> I loved, loved, loved Gerson's positive energy. It was so much fun. I am becoming a fan of tap dancing now. I've been watching Gerson's YouTube videos. You should absolutely check out his work. And as he said, it's important to have people whose history is tied to the craft represent the craft itself. This episode was produced by me, Sadia Khan, written by Michaela Schaffer. Our editor is Hazek Ahmed Fareed. Editorial review was done by Yudioglu. Until next time, take care.